Uh, I will say this, that it has not been an easy uh, time this week in preparing. Sometimes it's just that way, and I just struggle, and I, I, I enjoyed my study. I enjoyed the research, and, but it was just a fight to put my message together. And so I've gone over it a few times, and I think, oh, man, I hope that it makes sense this morning. <laughs> and I just want to say I so appreciated uh, sharing this series, Advent series, with the Dwight and what, uh, what you shared with us and those messages, it's been, it's been a joy to do that together in sharing Advent. And I just feel that Dwight just added those, those nuggets along the way. Uh, and this is just an opportunity for us to, to go a little deeper uh, this morning. So I'll start off with this. Not necessarily very happy, but um, kind of... In, leads us into, oh, I should also say I have no PowerPoint either, so if you're thinking, where's the PowerPoint? They're not doing their job. I don't have one. You just get to sit here and listen. <laughs> so this fellow walks into my office some years ago, and he looks at me and he says, I don't love her anymore. And so we sat down and we talked. We talked about his journey that took him to this place. And he told me how his marriage had brought him so much joy and happiness, but now it was hard, full of arguments, and he just didn't love her anymore. He said that the things that used to not annoy him suddenly annoyed him. And he looked at me and he says, I have just simply fallen out of love for her. And I have to tell you that, unfortunately, I've heard this too many times as a pastor. But love is not something you fall out of in a marriage. Love in a marriage is something that you choose to do or not to do. And so as I start off this Advent message on love, I think of that, and I think... What is love? How do you define it? So I do what most everybody does. You go to Google, and you Google love. And I Googled love, and you know that I had 23 billion results, 23 billion results for love. And that came up in 0.35 of a second. I mean, Google has a lot to say about love, and it's got to be a very important topic. So where do I start? Where do I end? How do you define love? Well, I can tell you I love popcorn, I love cheesecake, and I love lasagna. And those are great things to be able to talk and use the word love when you, when you have delicious food. At uh, Christmas time, there are always these special things that you have. And one of the things in my home that we had at Christmas time was raviolis. And I love my mom's raviolis. I will tell you a story about that another day. But our sons are with us, and they told us that we have to do, we have to do raviolis. That's just, that's what you do, right? So we're going to make raviolis today. Um, there's also that love that you have that love that you have for your spouse, the love you have for your children, the love you have for, hopefully, your siblings and your parents, um, love you have for your friends, and that is another aspect of love or the struggle we have with love. So where do I start with love? 
Well, I want to start in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there is a word for love, and it's a Hebrew word, and it's hesed. And it's actually better pronounced as chesed, a little bit of that part. So I want you to practice with me, because I've been practicing all this week. So, so say chesed with me, chesed. Oh, we'll try it one more time. One, two, three, chesed. Very good. That's wonderful. Now you cleared your throat. I did too. We can go on. This word chesed is, is definitely a multifaceted word. It's actually kind of hard to translate into the English language. Theologian John Oswalt, he says that hesed is a completely undeserved kindness and generosity. So if he was going to define chesed, it would be this completely undeserved kindness and generosity that we receive. Isaiah 54.10. I'm sure you're familiar with this verse as I start to read it. It says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills removed, Donna was telling me there was an earthquake in Seattle today. Where are you, Donna? You're still here, yeah. Because Donna's on call. We don't want her to leave, all right? You can, if you're not going to do anything today, pray for Donna not to leave so she can do the last song. Um, and so this here says, the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet God says, my unfailing chesed, my unfailing love for you will not be shaken. What great comfort that is. Another article I read said this about chesed. It said, chesed is not romantic or infatuation kind of love. It's a faithful, reliable love. When a wife prays for her husband for years for him to know the Lord, that is chesed. When a parent lovingly cares for a, a child, their artistic child, that is chesed. Chesed is faithful, it is loyal. Chesed is love in action. And when I came across this definition, Tom, I, I, I paused and I thought about you and Amy. And I think there is a definition of chesed there. You're loving Amy. And, and I know only Amy loves you, but this long-standing love you have for her. And I thought, if you want to know chesed in action, Talk to Tom. So most importantly, this chesed is this unfailing love that God has for you. In the Old Testament, we see it time and time again. I got another, I got another definition that a scholar, Daryl L. Bach, says this. He says, chesed is this. It's wrapping up in itself all the positive attributes of God. Love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, Loyalty, in short, acts of devotion, of loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. You can tell that, that just saying love, that God has this love for you, when we read in the Old Testament, it, is, it's, it just doesn't seem quite complete. It's so more complex than just simply God loves you. It's this, and I think the, 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 one of the best ways that, that the Old Testament has defined this, is this steadfast love. It is this faithful, unwavering love that God has for you, or loving kindness. But I really like steadfast love. It just doesn't end. And it's multifaceted. It is what 
Israel encountered with God, who Israel would fail God, but he continued to love them. They would fail him, and he would continue to love them. It wasn't a conditional love. It was an unconditional love. So we come to the New Testament, and we, we know the verse John 3.16, right? Many of you do. If I, if I was to ask you, you would begin to quote it, and, they, and you would say this. You would say, for, for God so chesed the world that he gave his only one son, that whoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. And so we come to the New Testament, and, and this, this word chesed is, is now understood as agape, agape love. And here is where we get the Christmas story. The Christmas story comes in. Because it is now this love that, that comes down to us. It isn't just what, what we would experience on this side. of It would be now what God does as he comes down, and it's now Emmanuel, God with us. Coming as a, as a, as a helpless child, a newborn, coming into the world as we all come into the world. He comes as his child, God, chesed, to be with us. Love transcends from the heavenly realms to become flesh, to dwell among us. So agape love is this generous, self-giving that love that reaches out with delight to us. It extends itself to a world that is falling apart. For God's love is known as comfort. So we come to that part in Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Romans chapter 8. This is, this is an incredible passage, this Romans chapter 8, because it starts off by, by answering this question that, that Paul is saying about, he, he goes through and he says, man, I, the things I want to do, I don't do in chapter 7, the things that I don't want to do, this I do. And then he says, who's going to rescue us from this? And then in verse 8, in verse 1 of, of chapter 8, he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There isn't any condemnation. My world, I want it to look perfect. I want it to be great. I don't want it to fall apart. But there are times that my world falls apart. There are times that I go through difficulties. And in Romans chapter 8 here, Paul is, is addressing to the nation of Israel. He's addressing to them the difficulties. They were going through some really hard struggles and really hard times. They were being persecuted in Rome. And he's writing to them and he's saying to them, I know you go through times where you wonder, where is God? And if you have gone through any period of time in your life where, where it seems that darkness surrounds you and it's encamped around you, you will find yourself in a place of going, where are you, God? Are you there? Have you forgotten me? 
And that's really what, when we come to Romans, the end of Romans chapter 8, that's what Paul is addressing. He's saying to them, I know that you're going through difficulties. I know you're going through trials and, and persecution. And you're, you're wondering, where are you, God? Do you even care? And Paul responds and he says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And there it is. Chesed. God is for us. Who can be against us? Paul then dives into this incredible love. And he tells us this love is indestructible. There's nothing you and I can do that can destroy God's love for you. I want to say it again. There's nothing that you can do that can destroy God's love for you. There's nothing you can do that can stop God's love for you. So even in our darkest times, God has not abandoned us, but we just may have a hard time seeing and understanding him. So he says at the end, he says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Verse 38, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor the present things, nor the things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the chesed, the agape love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there, death cannot stop God's love. Life cannot stop God's love. No angels can stop God's love. Nothing in this world that holds power on this earth can stop God's love. Even today's reality cannot stop God's love, or tomorrow's reality cannot stop God's love. So, why is it that nothing can stop God's love. What makes that possible? Well, you can't separate God from himself. We, we, we've mentioned along the journey that we look at hope and we look at joy and we look at peace, and that is who God is. He is these things. That's defining who he is. So love is another one of those parts. He can't stop loving you because he is love. He's, that's just who he is. Love came in the flesh. Love sacrificed in the flesh. Love died and rose again in the flesh. If we can separate love from God, then Christ's work is neither complete or eternal. It didn't, it didn't do his job. Christ made a covenant with his blood. We, we celebrate once a month here, communion. And we take that cup and we remember that Christ held it up and he says, this cup is a new covenant that I am making in my blood. It's a, it's a covenant made in love, through love, by love. He cannot break his word. It's impossible. So that's why Paul says there is nothing can, can stop God from loving you. It cannot separate us from God's love. Nothing can do that. 
His love is unstoppable, it's indestructible. Yet many of us, and I will say I have experienced a struggle with this love, but I want to be clear, it's not God that is the issue with love. It is our ability to receive and understand that. So my question that I had to ask myself is what steals love? What steals our love? What steals this love that we would have with us and God? And I think there are many things that we could point to or pull out, but the one that I want to focus on, the one that I think can easily steal love or understanding of love or engagement in love, and that is fear. Fear. And you go, what? How does that play a role in it? Well, hopefully I can kind of unpack that a little bit, but fear is a primary factor that gets in the way of love. Because fear casts darkness in what otherwise is known as pure love. Tyler Staten expresses it this way as he talks about what fear does in our lives. Fear is the perfectionism that gets in the way of my relationships. Fear is the need to present the perfect home, the perfect appearance, the perfect children. Fear is the definition of success that I carry wherever I go, even though I don't know where I came up with that definition, but it still defines me. Fear is the need to continue to climb the professional, athletic, or social ladder. Fear is the emptiness or insecurity I feel when I am alone. So I work and rework my, my calendar, my social calendar, so, so it, it always fits something or somebody into it. Fear is the anxiety that wakes me up too early in the morning or doesn't allow me to sleep at night. Fear is the obsession with my diet or my calorie count. Fear is the escapism that I cannot resist or the drink that I cannot do without. Fear is the website that I will view in secret when no one is around. Fear is the hum of shame that is louder and more constant than love. I want to try to build my case a little bit more, and I want to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Here, where Adam and Eve, sin enters into the world, and I just want to read the first six verses. It says, now the servant was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say to you, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, God said, but you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the servant said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you shall be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight in the eyes, and that the tree was to be 
a desire to make one wise, she took it and she took its fruit and ate it. And she gave some to her husband so that he who was with her and he ate it. So what's happening here? I, I think that most of the time we'll look at this and say that what, the, what Satan did was he tempted Eve to eat this fruit. And so the temptation was to eat this fruit. But, but I'm wondering if the temptation was more of questioning who God was and questioning the relationship. Did God really say that? Did God really mean that? I mean, is that really who God is? Did God really not want you to touch this fruit? I mean, it's going to make you wise, questioning the relationship that she and Adam had with God. I think that's really what's going on. And that the fruit was the, was the means in which she took and he took because she was questioning the relationship with God. A fear that maybe she was missing out on something. We have FOMO all the time, the fear of missing out, don't we? We don't want to miss out on anything. You might have been here today simply because you didn't want to miss out. Not a bad thing to be FOMO of, but I think we need a little bit more of JOMO. You know what that is? The joy of missing out. The joy of missing out. But there's a little bit of FOMO going on here, the, the, the fear of missing out on something maybe what God had or what he wanted or what he said was not right and that she was going to miss out or they were going to miss out on something. And today I wonder if we don't find ourselves even questioning our relationship with God today. And we have this fear, the fear of, will God really forgive me? Will he really, really forgive me? I mean, how many times have I come to him to ask him to forgive me of the same thing? When is he going to stop forgiving me? Does God really love me? I mean, I don't even know if I can love myself. I can't even really look in the mirror too long because if I do, I begin to think of myself and who I am. And I don't know, if you really knew me, would you really love me? And God, if he knows everything about me, does he really love me? question is this relationship. Does God really want to talk to me? Does he really want to be with me? The question of the relationship, the fear that God will not love us, God does not want to be with us, and this fear will drive us away from from experiencing his love. So we substitute fear for love. Fear drives us to do and to say and to be who God never intended us to be or do. So John writes something very interesting. 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. John writes this, perfect love drives out fear. Have you ever quoted that before? Perfect love drives out fear. It's a wonderful verse. But what does perfect love mean? What does it look like? It's this, perfect love is a love that loved you before you loved him. Perfect love is a love that did not consider equality with God something to hold on to, 
but let it go that he came here to earth. Perfect love is a love that was so filled with joy that he endured the cross despising the shame. That's perfect love. That's a love, that love casts out all fear. You see, that's the love that when you stand before him and you, and you say, God, will you really forgive me? God says, I can't help but not forgive you because that's what love does. When you stand there and you say, but God, I've messed up. My life is a mess. If you really knew who I was, and God says, I know exactly who you are. <laughs> I see everything. And I want to tell you this. I love you. See, it drives out fear, perfect love. Are you good enough? No, you're not. You're not good enough. But you're good enough to die for. You're good enough to receive perfect love. So what are you fearing? What in your life, about who you are, what are you fearing? That's a question to answer. Because that's the one you sit with him and you say, God, I fear this before you in my life. Because you will struggle to receive that love if you're not going to let go of that fear. So if you were to look at the first, first John, it's interesting that prior to that, John says that what is important to receiving this Love is to abide in Christ. To abide in Jesus, for he is love. We do this because this love is indestructible. Abiding is immersing yourself in him. And so if you had a, a bucket of dye, and you put your hand in a bucket of dye, this is what it means to be immersed, this is what it means to abide, you put your hand in a bucket of dye, and you leave it there, what's going to happen when you take it out? It's going to be a wild color. It's going to die. It's going to soak in. It's going gonna, it's gonna to permeate the skin. And we need to abide in him, because we abide in him, then his love permeates into our lives. Here's another illustration. There's a couple who had a daughter and she loved playing the piano. She was a young little lass. And she could only play the chopsticks. And she would play them relentlessly over and over again. And so they decided that, that they needed to get her lessons. And they were a couple that had money and so they searched for the best pianist they could. They found a maestro. And they hired him. So the day came for the lesson, and mom and dad took her to the lesson, and, and they brought her into the room, and, uh, and they were going to meet the maestro before they left. And so they go into the room, and there's a beautiful grand piano that is there, just a beautiful grand piano. And, and she, she goes into it, and she sees it, and she can't help herself, but she runs up to that piano. And she bounces up onto the seat and she sits down and she starts playing chopsticks. And parents are a little embarrassed. I mean, this is a maestro's house. This is a, this is a grand piano and their daughter is playing chopsticks. 
And then lo and behold, not much longer, the maestro walks in. And they get up to, to stop their daughter and he waves them off. No, 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 no. And he goes up to the piano and he, he sits down next to her and she stops. And he smiles at her and she smiles at him and he tells her, continue to play. And so she continues to play chopsticks. And then the maestro begins to play and fill in all those notes back and forth. And the parents are just amazed at the beauty of what is coming from a simple song of chopsticks. I want you to picture yourself, your life. You play the chopsticks. It's not much. It may not be all that beautiful. But the maestro, the master of love, sits down next to you and he begins to fill in everything else around you. And it's beautiful. Your life is beautiful. Not because you are brilliant, but because of the maestro sitting next to you. He wants to be with you. Every aspect of your life. So abiding with him is sitting with our, our maestro of love in all our simplicity, in all of our faults, in all of our failures, in all of our issues. He says, just sit there and let me fill in what is lacking and what is missing. So this week... Simply, it's a, it can be a busy Christmas week, can it not? Lots of things happening. And I just want to give you a one invitation, just one invitation to wrap this up this morning. And that's this. Try to find some time to slow down. Maybe it's five minutes extra in the morning, five minutes extra at night. So just slow down. Picture yourself as that little girl playing the chopsticks Picture yourself as, as the maestro sits down next to you in his unstoppable love, indestructible love. He sits around you and he fills in the beauty that is around you. And then I would encourage you just to write something down. What does that look like? What does his love for you look like? What is his unstoppable, undeniable, indestructible love look like surrounding you? In all your failures, in all your faults, in all your successes, what does it look like? Because that's abiding in his love. And then you're going to begin to reflect that just like taking your hand out of a dye, you're going to see that, that part of you is colored, and that's going to have an effect on the people around you. Lord Jesus, thank you 